Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. Want to advertise on this podcast or one like it and reach a targeted and engaged audience? Go to thatcast.com to start reaching our audience. ThatCast Network presents The Beaver Buzz, a look inside Oregon State Athletics with your host, Bob Lundeberg. Welcome, everybody, to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast Podcast Network. This is your host, Bob Lundeberg, fighting through some pretty dang brutal spring allergies to bring you guys another good show this week. The college baseball regular season is winding down. And Oregon State pitching coach Nate Yeski will join me to talk all things pitching. Nate has been Oregon State's pitching coach since 2009 and has worked with several uh, notable names, including current MLBers Matt Boyd, Josh Osich, and Jace Fry. Nate was voted the 2017 uh, National Assistant Coach of the Year by D1Baseball.com. And Nate is also he's widely regarded as one of the premier pitching coaches in all of college baseball. Before Nate um, hops on the show, I did want to give a quick update on kind of the lay of the land entering the final week of the college baseball regular season. UCLA is now in very good shape to win the Pac-12 title, sitting a game and a half up on Oregon State and Stanford with three games remaining. The Bruins are at Oregon this weekend while Oregon State hosts USC and Stanford travels to Arizona State. If the Beavers are going to win the Pac-12, they're going to need UCLA to lose at least twice at PK Park and take care of business against USC. I know most Beaver fans can't fathom rooting for the Ducks, but in this instance, um, I think it's perfectly acceptable, guys. If some of you just can't bring yourselves to do it, fine. But, you know, the Beavers really, really need the help in terms of winning the Pac-12 title. As far as NCAA tournament seeding goes, UCLA is almost certain to be awarded either the number one or number two national seed. The Bruins have been basically just the the most consistent team in all of college baseball, and I would say deserve they they probably deserve the number one seed, but could go to Vanderbilt. We'll see how that takes. We'll see how that all goes, and then. Stanford and Oregon State are both definitely considered safe candidates to secure one of the 16 regional host sites. I I don't see a path for the Beavers to earn a top eight seed that doesn't include a Pac-12 title. And as I've talked about before on the show, uh, the top eight seeds are really important because they guarantee home field advantage for the super regionals, which come after the regional round. I I don't think the Beavers uh, will be able to pull in front of some of the other teams above them in the RPI, like in East Carolina, Louisville, Georgia Tech, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma State. Those are kind of the main ones I'm looking at. It, I just I don't think the Beavers can leapfrog those guys without a Pac-12 title. So unless anything crazy happens, I would expect Oregon State to be seated probably between about 10th and 13th when the NCAA tournament brackets are released Monday morning. For those of you that are curious, uh, the 16 regional host sites will be unveiled at 5.30 p.m. Sunday with the NCAA tournament selection show airing at 9 a.m. Monday on ESPNU. I will have full coverage of the USC series, uh, the regional host announcement, and the NCAA tournament selection show uh, both on Twitter and with stories on Oregon Live. Once again, I'd like to thank you guys for listening to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast podcast network. You can find us on a variety of platforms, so please subscribe, rate, and review. 
Personally, I'm an Apple podcast guy, but if you prefer Spotify or something else, go for it. And seriously, as always, thanks again for the support. We're going to take a quick break here, and then I'll bring on Oregon State pitching coach Nate Yeske. Price Financial Group Wealth Management. Navigating through today's financial investment world can seem pretty scary. Now, here's the good news. Chuck Price, president of Price Financial Group Wealth Management, introduces a new revolutionary concept that will change how you invest now and in the future. It's called Asset Lock. Asset Lock monitors your investment accounts 24-7, 365, and alerts you when action needs to be taken. And now, Chuck Price offers Asset Lock. At Price Financial Group Wealth Management, we believe all our clients deserve to have Asset Lock monitoring their accounts. So call Chuck today or online at pfgwm.com and learn how you can get Asset Lock on your accounts today for free. Price Financial Group Wealth Management, because the smart investor knows what you don't know can hurt you. Simplify. Call 503-253-3000. That's 503-253-3000. From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. Well, there's just uh, one week remaining in the college baseball regular season, and Oregon State pitching coach Nate Yeske graciously agreed to uh, come on this week's edition of the Beaver Buzz podcast. Nate, I guess where have uh, where have the last twelve weeks kind of gone? Because it it feels like you guys were just getting ready to head down to surprise, you know, not 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 that long ago. No, they say that uh, time flies when you're having fun, and it feels like we've blinked as fast as as this season's gone by. You know, we're I always try to remind the kids there's really three seasons. You look at you've got preseason, which leads up to your conference play. Then you've got a conference play, and uh, hopefully you're fortunate enough to have that third season, which is the postseason. And right now we're in a position to continue on there, and and uh, we just want to get in playing, get in there with a head of steam playing well. Yeah, I mean, entering this season, I think expectations were probably pretty darn high for the pitching staff, just considering the amount of returning talent you guys had. And unfortunately, you know, some of those guys have gone down with different injuries over the course of the year. You know, maybe Jordan Britton, Kevin Abel, Mitchell Verberg, Grant Gambrell, and Brandon Isard have missed some time, I guess. But through all of that, you guys are still second nationally in Team RA, just behind UCLA. And, and I have to admit, I, I find that pretty incredible. So I guess, what does that kind of say about the depth on this staff and you know what you guys have been able to do and the amount of continued success you guys have had uh, despite some of these devastating injuries? Well, I, I think when you look at you know the devastation piece of it, that's really just one guy. You know, the, the remainder of those guys have just dealt with the attrition of the game. Mm-hmm. When you look at what guys have had to to deal with uh, across the country, I, I don't think we are immune to anything else that anybody else isn't going through. I think that because you lose your Friday night guy, yeah, that changes the dynamic of things, and and you got to reshuffle the deck. But you know, we're we're not dealing with anything any different than somebody else. I know UCLA's. Friday night guy was out for probably the first half of the season. So you just you you go out there and you play with the guys that you got and you do the best that you can with those guys. And, you know, opportunity uh, comes in, in different forms for a lot of guys. And so, you know, our guys being able to do some things, we pieced it together a little bit different. Um, some guys have pitched in some roles that maybe they weren't designed to early on and we've had to make some adjustments. And then uh, that growing curve had to, to be accelerated for – uh, some of our other guys that were younger, Jacob Fennings is, is pitched well in, in spurts. Joey Munts pitched well uh, as of late, and those guys are having to bite off a little bit more than they could chew uh, at certain points, but they've handled it well. 
I mean, we have, I know that you and I have talked about this a little bit before, but there certainly is a nationwide Tommy John epidemic going on right now. I think most people know that. I guess, what, what do you think, um, you, wh- why do you think, you know, this elbow procedure, why do you think it's so much more common now than it was 20 years ago? Do you think it's one or two factors or is it just a different, I mean, wh- wh- why do you think this is? I think it could be a combination of, of a lot of things. I think the reality of it is, is kids are playing baseball sooner. They're playing uh, a larger uh, amount of it. You know, you're, you're seeing kids log more innings at ages 10 through 15 than they ever have. Um, baseball's become year-round. It's become a, a force for people to, you know, make a way of life. So when you're putting on tournaments and, and kids want to go play and then other kids feel like they're getting left behind and they're in a cold-weather climate, they may jump in uh, to a, a tournament in a, in a warm weather state and play. And sometimes they're not doing anything. They just pick up a ball and go play. And so they're not prepared to do some of those things that, uh, some of the other kids are, and it just, it throws things out of balance. So, uh, I think, uh, you know, if you, if you really want to delve into it, you, you look at, there are a lot of things that you could point fingers at and some might apply to some guys and some might apply to others, but, you know, the reality of it is that a lot of guys are going through it around the country, uh, both uh, amateur-wise and professionally, and it, it's something that uh, until we take a step back and look at, at really kind of what's in the best interest of, of kids in that development phase, um, you know, it, it's going to continue. And there's nothing that anybody uh, can do to stop it at this point. I know professional teams are investing a lot of money into the medical side of things to try to to learn and uh, see if they can't track, you know, what some of the causes may be. But uh, when you consider the multi-million dollars, uh, probably billion dollars that Major League Baseball puts into injury prevention and, and education and the medical side of things, they still don't have an answer for it. And until they do, that's really where the trickle-down effect's going to be, unless um, you can do things. I know there was a kid at Stanford a couple years ago, dad pitched in the big leagues, guy didn't. Uh, move his kid around to many events he threw in one or two throughout the year played his normal high school summer schedule and still ended up with the thing and the, and the dad did everything he could a big leaguer with 10 plus years in the big leagues everything he could to to protect his son uh, who by all accounts should be fine through just like his dad uh, the mechanics of it and everything else and his dad never had any of those problems and then all of a sudden the kid pops up with it so you know, to say that it's there's any cause and effect or any one thing, I think would be naive. Um, it, it is what it is at this point. And you know, the other thing that you have to look at is uh, injuries occur. Um, you know, guys are going to pull hamstrings. You look at football. There's probably a heavy ACL. I know that uh, a lot of quarterbacks started wearing braces on that lead mm-hmm. leg when they were playing. Um, I think the Big Ten was the first football conference to require that all offensive linemen will wear knee braces. Um, in an effort to kind of protect against that. So, um, you know, the the arm side of things, you know, more kids are playing baseball. That's the other thing that people need to remember is that with any type of injury, when you see an increase in it, well, when there's an increase in the population of the sport, you're probably going to see those types of things. I guarantee you there are more hamstring injuries and, and uh, more ankle injuries at this point too. They're just not as yeah. long-term to recover from. So, um 
hopefully somebody gets their finger on that thing one day and gets it all figured out. One quick note on it too is part of it, the fact that more guys are throwing harder as well is increased velocity. Is that part of it? It seems like there might be a relationship there or is it just a function of natural progression of, uh, of the human body? I think it could be both. I mean, I think that some kids are probably predisposed to it. I think some guys that throw harder, uh, obviously you're putting more stress on the body uh, for that thing to, to function in the way that it does. And you know, you can pick and choose whatever side of the argument you want to be on and say Greg Maddox never had surgery. Well, Greg Maddox was a 95-mile-an-hour arm when he was in high school at about 150 pounds. So, <laughs> you know, he, he was one of the fortunate ones. Whereas you look at yeah. other guys, I know Joel Zamaya had an elbow injury from playing, I believe it was Guitar Hero. Um, so you, you look at those things and you start to wonder, okay, well, you can't just pick and choose. Well, we feel like this guy kind of throws like this guy or looks like this guy. Therefore, this is going to happen, which tends to, to be the case with some people that want to evaluate it. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it, it kind of is what it is. And, and we take those things in stride and we move along. Well, let's transition then back to this year's uh, Oregon State pitching staff. Grant Gambrell, you know, his talent was very obvious dating back to the fall, just thinking back to his freshman year. I guess from your perspective, what what has been different about Grant this season as he's blossomed into, you know, one of the better starters in, in the entire conference? Uh, he made a decision. I, I, I guess really if we're going to narrow it down into something to just – uh, be more mature about his approach. I think that a lot of guys think that they come here, they put on the jersey, they go into our weight room, and they just follow the instructions, and everything's just supposed to happen. And that's not the reality of it. You're going to be tested. You're going to be challenged uh, sometimes by the guys on your own team because they want to go out and pitch on Fridays or Saturdays or Sundays in the rotation as well. So, you know, looking at him, he, he made a decision to, to be more accountable when things didn't go his way, he made a decision that he was going to really go about his business differently in the weight room, and he was going to accept more responsibility when he failed uh, out on the mound and say, all right, maybe i got to make a better pitch, or how can I fix this moving forward? And then there was, a, 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 I would say, more of an intent with the desire to want to change those things. Um, he dealt with it immediately. He, he looked at it for what it was. When kids are younger, they can be impulsive. They can uh, feel bad about themselves. And I try to remind them all the time. You know, there's a few people that are going to feel bad for you. Your mom, your dad, your girlfriend, <laughs> grandma, grandpa, me. I said, but you know, outside of that, the, the team in the other dugout doesn't feel bad for you. Um, the fans, by the time they get home, uh, they're going to tend to forget the game a little bit and you know move on with their lives. So they're really not feeling bad for you. They've got enough to deal with on their plate. So I just think that these kids, uh, their accountability, when you see kids start to succeed, and I go back to a Matt Boyd and Andrew Moore, uh, people that had success at a, at a young age and sustained it through our program and then transitioned it beyond, there was a level of, of maturity with those guys both on and off the field that they handled and they took it uh, as, you know, as important as it was, they took it even more in stride with regards to, you know, this is my job, this is my opportunity and I'm going to make the most of it. And they held themselves accountable and they were fortunate enough to be surrounded by guys that did it too. And Grant was surrounded by those types of guys in his time here. I think it just took a little bit longer for him to transition into those things because he was in the rotation last year mm -hmm. and he came out of it and he'll tell you now that was by his own accord, which that's mature response. It's I tell guys all the time, I don't take guys out of the game. Starters remove themselves from the game either by some performance or pitch count. Uh, sometimes we feel there's a better matchup in the bullpen that, that might suit better. But uh, really, 
we don't make the rotation. We don't make in-game decisions a lot of times. Um, you know, sometimes we do. We, we look at it and say, all right, this guy's had enough, or you know what, this guy's a better chance for us to go get this guy in this situation. And, and you, you look at that and you take that into account. But at the end of the day, uh, the, the players make the lineup, they make the rotation, they make the decisions based on how they perform. Brandon Isert isn't necessarily maybe your typical Friday night guy in the Pac-12, just from a stuff perspective. And, you know, he hasn't pitched the last couple weeks, but it looks like he should be back here before too long. Um, with, with Abel going down then earlier in the year, I guess just how important was Isert in holding down the fort on, on Friday nights for you guys? Because it seemed like he, he just did a tremendous job throughout Pac-12 play. He did. You know, Friday nights, sometimes you, you get into an opponent and you might watch him on film, but the game changes a little bit. Some teams will really change their approach on how they want to face a left-hand and maybe really try to, to get more of an opposite field approach. Um, we watch styles of play. You know, there's, there is a style with how guys go about their business in our conference. Um, sometimes out of conference, you don't get a great feel for how that is. And I try to explain it to my guys in the sense of one week you could be facing uh, kind of the the option, you know, the wishbone formation and, and seeing that. And the next week you're facing five wide where it's the air raid and they're just slinging it around the field. Baseball has that dynamic as well. Some guys pitch off the fastball more. Some guys pitch in more. Some guys pitch backwards more. Uh, there's just a, a way of how they do things. And when you're going out on Friday nights, you have to be able to really kind of be a Swiss Army knife and do things in a different way that sometimes go against the grain because you don't know. You may not have enough video on a team. You may not have enough insight on a guy. Shoot, they might insert a guy in the lineup that's got 20 at-bats, and you just don't have – um, a history with that guy and what he can or cannot do. So you have to be able to overcome some of those things. And, you know, when you look at it, uh, you don't have much margin for error because generally the guy on the other side, he's their best guy too. He's been getting their guys out all fall and he has a knack for making pitches. And so we always said, boy, if you can pitch on Friday nights in this conference and if you can hit in this conference, you know, you got a chance to continue to play beyond here. And Brandon's certainly been great throughout his time here. He's always been a nice change of pace and a different look, and that's kind of factored into our decision of, of putting him in that Friday night slot initially because he's just a different look. There aren't a lot of guys in the country that throw like him. Um, there's another guy that pitches in another school in our conference that's having a lot of success. Again, he's an outlier, so he's just is different in what he does. And so those guys can pose a problem and be a challenge for other guys. But Brandon, uh, he, he did a great job, and we're looking forward to having him back soon. Yeah, so if I would have told you then back in the fall of 2015 that Bryce Femmel would be one of the winningest pitchers in Oregon State history by the end of his career, what, what would your reaction to that have been? Would you have believed me? I wouldn't have known how he did it just because <laughs> the guy was pitching out of the pen for us at the time. In fact, I was telling a guy his first collegiate start was against USC, and uh, we made a decision at that time that we thought you know, we weren't getting what we needed to out of the, the Sunday starter, and we flipped it over to him. I think he threw seven shutout, maybe seven and change, maybe eight at, at USC, and, and uh, really just kind of turned the corner then for us. And he's had some, some bouts with it. He's been um, – you know, really good at, at some other spots where uh, he's carried us and, and performed and given us a chance to win. I go back to the Vanderbilt game in the Supers. That was that was incredible what he did that night. I don't think he'd ever thrown a complete game. I think at that time it was his career high for strikeouts with 10 or 11 against a team that uh, had a lot of success in their conference and certainly, you know, would have made some noise had they been able to advance into Omaha. Um but then to follow that up with how he did against LSU, looking at what he did last year, 
um, to back that up again. Every guy that you go around the programs around the country and they kind of have that guy. Sometimes it's a second baseman. Sometimes it's a center fielder. Sometimes you get a walk on that ends up catching, uh, whatever it is. But certainly for a guy that was recruited to come in here and play in the infield, uh, I give him a lot of credit because he sat in my office and, and the conversation that we had was, you know, we we feel like we're pretty good in the infield right now. I heard that you pitched a little bit in high school, summer ball. Uh, we think we could use you in the back end of the game and, and help us out in the pen. You okay with that? And he said, no problem. Anything that you guys need me to do, I'll do it. And he's been a man of his word. He's he's done that. And and uh, the kids give him a hard time and they say, hey, you know, they, they, did you ever find your bat? You know, <laughs> did you ever get your bat back? And those types of things. So, you know, he's been lobbying for an at-bat like Max Engelbrecht got uh, against Abilene Christian. But, you know, outside of that, he's he's been just such a pro about things, just such a professional with regards to how he goes about his business every day, how he helps out the younger guys. And he's got a good heartbeat for the game. He's never too high. He's never too low. You know, if he pitches well or pitches, um, you know, below his standards, you're not going to know the difference because he's going to come in the dugout and he's going to try to help the team win and stay engaged in it. He'll be the same way the next day at the park and in the days that follow. So he's certainly been one of those, I, I would call him a legacy type player. We talk about those things with our staff, um, he's going to be the type of guy that leaves it better than he found it, and he's going to have not only maintained the standard of when he came in here, but he will advance the the culture and the standard of the way that things are done um, just by how he goes about his business. And so when he does take the time to talk and address our guys from time to time, um, he's kind of like those old E.F. Hutton commercials. When he talks, people listen. So uh, we're fortunate enough to have him in our program. Well, it's senior week here at Oregon State and pitching staff. Uh, obviously, you guys have three seniors, Bryce Femmel, Sam Tweet, Dylan Pierce. Uh, we all already talked about Bryce. So what, what what have Dylan and Sam, what would have those two guys meant um, to the program during their time in Corvallis? You know, it's, it's hard because I think every kid comes in here with this idea that they're going to pitch on Friday night. They're going to be um, – you know, in, in that role at some point. They just want to start their first year. They want to be an all-conference guy second year. Third year, they want to be an All-American and be a draft and go out the door. And it doesn't always play out that way. And the guys that are left, it's how they they handle those conditions or how they handle that those types of uh, outcomes. And, you know, I can't say enough about those two guys. Dylan Pierce walked on here and has given us everything that we've asked for. Uh, Sam Tweet, he's cut of the same cloth as Bryce Femmel. He's just a pro about going about his business day in and day out um, to come back after he's graduated, have a year of eligibility. And we made him no promises when he came back to say, hey, you know, I don't know if you're going to throw five innings. I don't know if you're going to throw 50 innings um, or, or more, but that's going to be up to you and you know, you're going to have to earn what you get. And Again, he's been a great resource for our younger guys. Um, you know, Dylan's learned that there is a transition from what he maybe got away with at his junior college and, and getting here. And he pitched in some big moments for us last year. Um, maybe didn't throw as much, again, as he would have liked to in Omaha. Sam rode shotgun next to me and did the chart every day and just stayed engaged, stayed in the hunt, Has had a great energy about what he was doing. But to say what those guys have been able to do for our program, not only in their time here, but what that will mean beyond, uh, I don't think it can be measured just because those guys, man, they're, they're beavers. And we don't take that term lightly around here. That means a lot 
to um, our fan base. It means a lot to the people that have helped build this program, and it means a lot to the people that will maintain and advance this program. So, um, you know, that that ripple effect that uh, that those guys have left by kind of jumping in the deep end of the pool is going to be a real good one for not only the, their time here, but uh, years to come. I'll get you out of here on this one because I really, really wanted to ask you about Nathan Burns because he, he's a guy, uh, again, obvious tools, but just kind of seemed to have command problems whenever he went out there and pitched. And then just a week ago or so, Burns goes out against Portland and, and he tosses six hitless innings and just looked incredible. I guess, did, did you see a different mentality from, from Burns that night? I mean, he, he was, he, he was definitely delighted to talk with after the game. Yeah. You know, Nathan is, is probably put too much pressure on himself to perform. He's one of those guys that thought well, he's going to come in year one and, you know, grab the league by the throat and just shake it around. And, and, uh, it didn't really work out that way for him. And, he learned. He he had some things to work on physically, getting stronger, and and just you know that's what college is for. That's why we try to explain to guys all the time that you know these are are some of the most important years of shaping your life, not just on the field but off. And you learn about yourself. You learn what you can do. You learn what you you can't do, and and ultimately sometimes what you need to do, even if it's uncomfortable. You know, growth can be challenging sometimes that way, and. You know, watching him grow and, and develop has been a pleasure, and seeing him certainly go through what he did against Portland was great. Uh, we had Sam behind him down in the pen ready to back him up. We made the move to Mulholland there at the end just because we thought, you know what, this kid's done everything. And I remember telling him, you got one hitter. You got one guy, so let's go ahead and just get him out <laughs> while we're at it. And he was challenged, and he mm-hmm. – he really handled that situation well, where in the past um, it may, may have very well been a very far uh, uh, different outcome than it was. So watching him do that was great. Um, you appreciate seeing kids grow because I think that the the hard part that people don't see all the time because they, they feel like we're looking at it from a performance-only standpoint, you know, we spend a lot of time recruiting these kids. We spend a lot of time with these kids in the weight room bus rides, hotels, um, you know, you name it, team meetings. And I've used this example a lot of times with kids that if we go somewhere and let's say we got a 15-man pitching staff and 14 of them pitch well and one doesn't, we carry that burden with the one kid that didn't do well. And so, you know, we try to replace uh, for the time being as kind of a proxy for mom and dad when uh, they're not around. And so we have to be – you know, somebody that can wear a lot of different hats. And for those kids, it's challenging because sometimes they see us only as a coach. Sometimes that's a a tough conversation for them to have. Other times um, when we get away from the field, it's easier for them to kind of relax and have some conversations. And, you know, so when you see Nathan Burns turn the corner or you see some of these other kids continue to grow and develop, uh, it's meaningful to us as much as it is their mom and dad because we're not seeing the growth as a player. We're seeing the growth as a person. And that's what Nathan has been doing is he continues to grow as a person, find more comfort in who he is, what he does, what he brings to the table. And I think that that's going to impact him the rest of his life. Um, and he'll look back at these examples on the field and hopefully, you know, Nathan plays for a long time. But the reality of this game is that um, that doesn't happen a lot. You know, there aren't a lot of Adley Rutschmans running around the country that can play this game for 15, 20 years. Um, the rest of them just kind of have to figure it out and, and make the most of it. And if it's two years or five years or seven years, 
there's still a, a finish line to it. And so what are you going to do beyond that? And so you take those experiences and those challenges that you've had to get through, like Nathan, uh, Chamberlain, I can, I can go down the list of guys that we've mm-hmm. had, uh, Gambrell, you mentioned earlier, and those things can help shape you. But I'd also try to remind those guys that they don't define you. They will help shape you into who you are. You get to define who you are through how you respond to some of those uh, adverse moments. And, you know, Nathan has dealt with some adversity, and I still go back. I mean, he pitched well out of the shoot for us. He pitched really well against Minnesota uh, down in Surprise. He had a little hiccup for a while, but he's he's shown some spurts of growth, and I think he'll continue to, to advance himself, and I'm excited about what, what he has in store for his future. Nate, thanks so much for agreeing to do this today. I hope it wasn't too painful for you. No, easy enough, man. We're talking about baseball. That's a that's a pretty uh, pretty nice thing to be able to do for a lot of guys. So uh, agreed. Anytime we can sit down and talk sports, uh, I'm all in. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, right. thanks again uh, to Oregon State pitching coach Nate Esky, and I'll be right back uh, to wrap up the show. Anna Canzano hosts that expert show, the show you help run. Hear the top experts on a variety of topics interviewed by a top journalist. Find That Expert Show and other shows on the ThatCast Network. Visit ThatCast.com. From Guild Coliseum to Research Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Nate. It's really not hard to see why he's had so much success with Oregon State's pitching staff. And uh, Nate, Nate's going to make one hell of a head coach someday for somebody. That will do it then for this week's edition of the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast podcast network. I'm not sure what exactly my plans are for next week just yet. Um, Monday and Tuesday are going to be uh, pretty dang insane days just with getting ready for the Corvallis Regional and figuring out what teams are going to be uh, coming in here to town. But I'll uh, I'll try to have some type of preview show for the Corvallis Regional out by by the start of play next week. If you guys want baseball updates uh, from the weekend and throughout the NCAA tournament, follow me on Twitter at the underscore real underscore Bob. You know I get <laughs> I get asked about my Twitter handle all the time, and I wish I had some great story behind it, but. The, the truth is, I was a pretty early Twitter adopter, probably sometime late in 2008 or early 2009. And back then, I was in college, and we basically just used Twitter to see kind of whatever the crazy stuff that like Chad Ochocinco or Shaq or Britney Spears were saying. And I noticed that lots of celebrities, uh, Shaq, I guess, being a perfect example, had real in their Twitter handle. So, you know, 20 year old me. I guess thought it was that was really funny, so I went ahead and did that too when I created my Twitter account. And here we are, uh, some ten plus years later, and I've got the exact same Twitter handle. But yeah, I guess at at this point, I see no uh, no real reason to get rid of it. So therefore, I guess I am the real Bob. Um, like I said, Twitter, you can find my stuff there. Uh, also on Oregon Live, I will have multiple baseball stories going up over the next few days. By the time you guys are listening to this, a piece I did on Zach Taylor will be up on the site. And then I will also have coverage of the weekend games against USC. Um, on that note, uh, we will go ahead and close today's show. Uh, thanks again, seriously, everyone, for tuning in. And I will be back with another program before long. Discover the growing lineup of ThatCast Network podcasts and videocasts at ThatCast.com.